0: From True Africa, I'm Claude Wienitski, and this is Limitless. In this episode, we're talking about how Africans can make an impact globally. In the UN,
1: it's quite diverse. I think some organizations are more than others. We must stop
2: focusing on those institutions to give us uh, solutions.
3: You have to actually recognize that you have a voice in order for that voice to be heard.
0: Welcome to Limitless, the podcast that asks the questions that matter for Africa. We're looking for African solutions to African problems. In each episode, we're asking three guests one question that matters to Africans. And, no surprise, they don't always agree. The Limitless podcast is supported by the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation. Historically... Africans have not been well represented in international institutions. This is a problem. These organizations are key to tackling things like climate change and COVID-19. But with a Nigerian leading the World Trade Organization and an Ethiopian heading the World Health Organization, that could be changing. But is this happening fast enough? How can Africans make sure their voices are heard on the world stage? My first contributor works for one of the biggest international institutions, the United Nations. Pedro Matos has worked for the World Food Program in Africa and Asia for well over a decade. He was part of the team which won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2020, and he's now working in Sudan, delivering food and assistance to over 6 million people. He told me that although Africans are better represented in the UN, there is still a lot of work to do. Here's our discussion how can africans get their voices heard in international institutions
1: well in international institutions i would say they are i think in the un it's quite diverse i think some organisations are more than others for instance in in um, in multinationals it's not really the same picture so I think in the international organizations, it's because it's it has been forced upon um, the diversity and the gender equality has been forced upon it, and I think we're we're, we're doing good strides. I think it's in the rest of the the world where um, we're still we still have a lot of a lot of work to do.
0: I'll give you an example though, in just perhaps our first moment of dissent here. I um, produced a, a film, a documentary called The Great Green Wall, which is about a major environmental project across the Sahel. There's millions and millions of trees being planted from Senegal all the way to Djibouti. And when I was fundraising for that Great Green Wall project, pretty much every funder and every person who actually was receptive to the idea was either from the United Nations or the World Bank. And I didn't get funding from a single African funder nor did I get any sort of real Africans to participate in the dialogue about how do we promote this great green wall and raise awareness for it. Again, why is it that often I'm not saying always, but often Africans are bystanders.
1: Well I would say that the transfer is a good thing. The North South transfer is a good thing. I think the lack of ownership is is problematic if if africans don't recognize that the the, the green wall is a, a good thing and the west keeps pushing it as if um, you know we we know better i think that's problematic i think in general the transfers north south transfers for um it's a, it's a it's a form of um kind of compensation and for instance that we're discussing about climate change and and carbon uh, offsetting i think those north south transfers are important and they're they're actually essential but uh, the solution to the problem should be driven by the the beneficiaries ultimately and by the country that that would stand to gain if they don't then um, then maybe this is just a, another you know bit of a white elephant that um, we're basically trying to find a solution for the problems that we think people have, as opposed to just asking them and, um, and let them drive the process.
0: In terms of the, what you see in your work, do you feel that the balance of representation is actually changing?
1: I think in, in the international
0: organizations, I think
1: the, the, the big divide is international-national. I think there's still a bit of um, a patronizing feel between internationals and nationals, and the internationals might be Africans. And so I find that there's this divide where foreigners will arrive in a country as these uh, expat uh, experts, and uh, and will often dismiss a lot of the um, of the views of national uh, staff and people in those countries. I think that is the great divide, more than uh, West versus Africans. And I've seen, I've seen meetings with 30 people where not a single person from that country was present. And uh, uh, and because we're all so engaged in solving the problem that we forgot to actually ask, him, ask the people that, uh, that know better.
0: My next guest is Mutemi Wakiyama, an activist from Nairobi, Kenya. He's known for campaigning against aid in the shape of international loans. He was arrested by Kenyan authorities in April 2021. His crime... Criticizing the IMF, the International Monetary Fund's two point three billion dollar loan to Kenya. Here's our discussion. Well, you're very much known for interrogating leaders and the choices they make, for confronting leaders, and, and this has cost you a lot, right? This has cost you a lot. Your stance against the IMF has cost you a lot, and, and you're very vocal in your in, in your dissent. And so one of the things that we think about is how voices like yours can be elevated. And so the question that I'm asking you is how do you think Africans can get their voices heard in international institutions, including in inter- institutions like the IMF? So
2: um, we must, first of all, uh, stop focusing on, on those uh, institutions to, uh, to give us uh, solutions. We must build.
0: You mean institutions like the International Monetary Fund (IMF), the World Bank, yes. IFC, International Finance Corporation, and those kinds of institutions? Is that what you mean? Yes,
2: because um, um, if you look at Kenya before 2013, between 2002 and 22. Uh, in the previous regime of Kibaki, We were financing, I think, 95% of uh, our budget from uh, revenue collected internally. We had totally, totally uh, weaned ourselves off the IMF, the World Bank. Um, and that's why they were very happy when Uhuru Kenyatta, who is not known for fiscal discipline, took over because they were able then to come back now. But what nobody's talking about is the fact that all these loans, unsecured loans, loans that have been given uh, without, you know, looking at the ability to pay, were given by their sister organization, which is the World Bank, and, and during the COVID period, the from 2019 to 2021. Um, in the health sector, the World Bank has been giving loans that uh the money is unaccounted for, money is not used for COVID purposes. And then when we raise accountability issues, the World Bank does not do anything, just gives another loan to plug in that other whole. So we must get away from these institutions. We must must build African institutions uh that are for African interests. And you can start small, you can start at community level. One of the other things we have to to think through, Claude, is um is really thinking the state uh, because this state that has failed uh, the colonial, the, the African colonial state. Can we rethink really governance as Africans? Can we look at our traditional systems that used to work and see what we can adopt for today? I think that's the way forward. We must have, we must be have the imagination to imagine a different uh, governance system for Africa.
0: Today, there's quite a few Africans who are winning top jobs at international institutions. Could we perhaps not argue that having those Africans at the table might actually be a good way for Africans to look out for the African continent and African possibilities?
2: Um, As much as I celebrate all those Africans who've uh, been able to, you know, to occupy those positions, unfortunately, they lead institutions that have different boards, um, have different, and, and the boards are very influential. So as much as, um, our fellow Africans are heading these institutions, we know that they're just figureheads and decisions are made elsewhere. So we must build our own, we must build our own banks, we must build our own markets, we must build our own private companies uh, that push the, push the African agenda.
0: But what about the Africans who are trying to change these international institutions from the inside? Dr. Obi Ezekwesili is very familiar with the corridors of power. She's a Harvard University graduate and a former education minister in the Nigerian government. She was also vice president of the World Bank for the Africa region. I asked her how Africans can get their voices heard in these large international institutions.
3: Well, I mean, one thing that is certain is that you have to actually recognize that you have a voice in order for that voice to be heard. A lot of the times what happens is that people swallow their voices the use of voice can be costly sometimes because of the cost of the use of voice people choose not to use it so an african using their voice so that that voice is head must take that the ownership of their voice they must not only take ownership of their voice, but their voice must not be mere noise. Their voice must be anchored on very strong knowledge of what it is communicating and very prepared to put action to that voice.
0: I'm wondering if you yourself actually struggled personally to get your voice heard at one point.
3: Well, you know, what helped me was that from childhood, I had parents who encouraged our use of voice. So our opinion was important. I mean, you should see at home would have to debate and would actually take on the debate with our parents, with our mom, with our dad. And so the dining room table was a place of debate. <laughs> you had to hold your own so that when somebody tries to contest with our voice, they better be ready with something better, uh, something superior to what we're saying. Yes. We actually uh, impose barriers on our voices, even sometimes more than has been imposed on us. Because if people have succeeded in telling us that we have nothing to contribute, it means we handed over the right to tell us that to them.
0: Well, in the barriers that you mentioned, you have two barriers, right, in your case. As an African uh, working in, 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 in major institutions
3: such as the World Bank and also as a woman. I don't have to, I don't have to waste my time trying to pander. To the, to the demands and the dictates of people who are so ignorant, they have decided that either because I'm a woman or because I'm an African, I cannot possibly have a voice. I, I, you know, a lot of the times, what 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 worries people is that they they give too much power to those who want to impose barriers on you. You've got to just walk through the, yes. the door. The last thing that's ever crossed my mind is that because I'm an African, I am somehow subordinated to the voice of any other person.
0: Did you, when you were at the World Bank, feel? that your position, which is a position of power as a vice president of the Africa division, did you feel that you had the power and influence that you needed to have and that your voice was actually listening to at the World Bank?
3: So it goes back again to the personal choices of the one who is supposed to have a voice. Remember what I started off with when I said that voice can be costly? And because voice can be costly, people choose to swallow it. Well, everyone at the World Bank knew that OBSE didn't come to the World Bank to swallow her voice. So whether you were my colleague, member of board, or you were representing, uh, minister representing, a a development partner from the advanced economy is you already knew who you were meeting. You knew you were meeting somebody who was not going to be uh, obnoxious toward your own views and was not going to accept any form of impudence from you.
0: I can't believe many people dare to be impudent to Dr. Obi, thanks to all our guests and their different perspectives. We're not looking for simple answers on this podcast. We believe Africa's potential is limitless, and so are the solutions to challenges we face. Pedro Matos gave a fascinating insight into the shifts happening at the UN. I agree with him. Even though support from international institutions is vital, it's clear we Africans need to own the vision. And that's why I love speaking to Mutemi Wakiyama and Dr. Obi. They are the Africans pushing for change on the continent. With their energy, passion, and drive, the future does seem limitless. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit www.trueafrica.co slash limitless or follow True Africa on Facebook and Twitter. You've been listening to Limitless. I'm Claude Grenitzky. The Limitless podcast is a production of True Africa. This podcast is made possible with a grant from the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation.